The subject matter contained in this presentation is based on biblical principles and designed to give you accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that neither the presenter nor the broadcaster is engaged to render legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Since your situation is fact-dependent, you may wish to additionally seek the services of an appropriately licensed legal, accounting, real estate, or investment professional. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap. They gather nothing into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you more important than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single moment to your lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothes? Learn from the way the wildflowers grow. They do not work or spin, but I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was clothed like one of them. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which grows today and is thrown into the oven tomorrow, will he not much more provide for you, O oh, you of little faith? So do not worry and say, What are we to eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what are we to wear? All these things the pagans seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given you besides. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient for a day is its own evil. This is Radio Wave Medjinomics with your host, a friend of Medjugorje. We had companies that we worked for years ago across America that people would be employed for 25, 30, 35 years. You're retired, you got to go watch. You got a pension. And we fell into this pattern of the way things worked. When we started Caritas, beginning in 1986, and started promoting Medjugorje, our whole mission was filled with typewriters. That's just 25 years ago. That's nothing. And it's amazing that from there we came up with the IBM typewriters that processed a little bit, but still, still lettered type. And in that moment of 87, 88, the transition was incredible. Things changed so rapidly that we started using word processors. And from there, we 
had to put our typewriters up. We kept them. And I regret that we got rid of all of them, but there was no use. You, can't, you couldn't use them. Nobody wanted it. It looked bad. It looked ancient. They were inefficient compared to what the processors were going through, the big processing computers. Then the PCs came along. Things changed so quickly. It's amazing. And typewriters now is just nobody who uses them. And so something that would be a mainstay for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, even probably longer than that, just vanished just as quick as it came on the scene and people grabbed and went to this level of technology with the original first typewriters. One thing was even more radical than that was one minute we communicated through teletype, telegrams, and almost overnight, it was through the fax machine. The fax machine is something that was remarkable. When it came on the scene, people were even in wonder about it. But so many companies jumped into it that it just transformed everything. It's really one of the biggest transformations. People blame it, you know, or look at the computer and all the PCs that came up. But one of the most radical things from the old way we did things to the newer way of technology was the fax machines. And for people who were old enough to see that, and it wasn't long ago, you're talking about probably in the beginning of the 90s, 80s, out of the end of the 80s. And overnight, everybody had them. It was a boom, huge distribution of these things to companies and promotion. But what that told us is the transition of how things were changing in a culture. Our lady, I've written before, couldn't have come one year later or one month later. She came at the last moment, just before this onslaught of change to get enough rooted into our heart before we progress to the point of where we are at today. And today, she couldn't come. I'm telling you, Our Lady could not appear today if she delayed June 24th, 1981 to April 5th, 2012 and start what she's doing now. Wouldn't happen. Because, because people are so connected, they're so overwhelmed, they're so unreachable. You can go on the streets of New York and pass out flyers and people walk by and you can't even give people a flyer. They're in their own, they're in their own world. You, don't, you can't penetrate it. They've got headphones on. They're on the cell phones. They're disconnected. And so it is we see this was a job that you might have had 30 years ago. The tides of change come so quickly that when something changes and you're an expert in that area, fixing typewriters... And things change, suddenly you don't have a job. You can't stay 30 years with one company. And so this instability, this change, this moving with the wind, the waves, the way we do, the way we eat, all these things are destructive. There's no tradition. There's no stability. Of course, many of you know and keep up with us. We buried one of our community members yesterday, Andrea. And everybody testified, this is it. This is the way. We had five priests on the altar during the Mass, for the funeral Mass. We come down here, came out here, and the burial took, what, three hours maybe? And it went on to the family themselves uh, by hand covering the, the 
grave with dirt, filling it back up. That stretched it in probably four hours. And everybody was here, the guests and everybody stayed here till 10, 11 o'clock last night. So I'm leaving this morning. And not one of them, not one person here didn't say this is the way it should be. It's very moving. We slowed down the clock. We're very busy in our mission with spring, getting ready to go to Medjugorje and base there stronger for the pilgrim season. The planting, the closing of the tabernacle, retooling, trying to get that finished. But time stopped when Andrea stopped. When she passed, everything's on hold. The book I'm writing, that's on hold. And we don't have that in our culture anymore because we've changed it. Or rather, we let us be changed from our traditions. Just like we have a tradition here that the family members, the men, bury the loved one after Andrew is laid into the grave. We're building a culture of what the future is about. But we lost many things, including the way we eat and how we do. And Our Lady shows us through her messages to look at Jesus' life. His last thing was his last supper. And that's important. But we've lost even that. While in France a couple of years ago, I bumped into my colleague. And during our chat, he told me about a French co-worker who had just returned from her first trip to the United States. When asked what was her biggest surprise about America, she said, I can't believe you eat in your cars. We both had a chuckle over this. The Parisians eating, or two Parisians eating is a sacrament. Even a short lunch has to include fresh bread, good wine, and time enough to enjoy it. It's a whole different experience than driving down the highway with a quarter pounder and fries in your lap, a soft drink big enough to have an undertow sloshing around in the cup holder, while you lick your fingers between bites so you don't get grease on the, on the wheel. I'm kidding, of course. Americans don't really eat this way on a regular basis. Or do we? Get ready to cringe. A recent study conducted by John Niehoff, a professor of gastronomy at the Culinary Institute of America, found that among 18 to 50-year-old Americans, roughly... A fifth of all eating takes place in the car. Almost as bad, studies show that a significant percentage of the rest occurs in front of the TV. Look, I don't want to be judgmental. If this is how people really want to take their meals, so be it. Of course, I wouldn't call them meals necessarily. They're more like eating occasions. Still, if this is how millions of my fellow Americans choose to receive their daily nourishment, all I can say is, Viva la France. Face it, the French are smarter than us when it comes to eating. Surveys show they, re- they rarely snack. They consume most of their food at meals shared with others. They eat smaller portions and don't come back for seconds. They also linger, spending considerable more time eating than we do. Put these habits together and you have a food culture in which the French consume fewer calories than we do yet enjoy them far more. As Michael Pollan writes in his book, In Defense of Food, we forget that historically people have eaten for a great many reasons other than biological necessity. Food is also about pleasure, about community, 
about family and spirituality, about our relationship to the natural world, and about expressing our identity. As long as humans have been taking meals together, eating has been as much about culture as it has been about biology. It is at the dinner table that we socialize and civilize our children, teaching them manners and the art of conversation. At the dinner table, parents can determine portion sizes, model eating and drinking behavior, and enforce social norms about greed and gluttony and waste. The shared meal elevates eating from a mechanical process of fueling the body to a ritual of family and community, from mere animal biology to an act of culture. In the modern world, agriculture, technology, and the free market have succeeded almost too well. Food today is so easy, so cheap, and so plentiful that we forget our ancestors spent most of their waking hours hunting, growing, producing, and preparing meals. It defined their lives. For hundreds of millions in the third world, it still does. If we eat mindlessly, we experience a disconnection. We miss a chance to bond with our friends and family. We lose our deep connection to the earth. We forego an opportunity to give thanks. And that's regrettable. In The Pleasures of Eating, Wendell Berry writes, Eating with the fullest pleasure. Pleasure, that is, that does not depend on ignorance. It it is perhaps the profoundest enactment of our connection with the world. In this pleasure, we experience and celebrate our dependence and our gratitude, for we are living from mystery, from creatures we did not make and powers we cannot comprehend. The attitude fosters a more deliberate approaching to eating. Our meals become a sort of spiritual practice where gratitude, fellowship, and conversation are more important than simply strapping on the feed bag. We eat less and enjoy it more. Not coincidentally, we look and feel better too. So take your cue from the French, enjoy the company, savor your meal, and if you really don't have time to eat this way, well, don't forget to buckle up. There's a lot to say about that, being that Jesus' last act was the Last Supper before his walk down cruise via Delarosa. And so our investments, and the whole world centers what is investments, except for when it's invested in yourself. What are you learning? What do you, what do, you do? What do you think the future is going to be about? What's going to be most important to you in the future in regards to your time spent and what you want to know the most about what to do? To live. Everybody repeatedly that was just here for the funeral in the wake came and said, I know something's about to happen. I can feel it. I sense it. You know, we get guesstimates. Of course, the book I'm writing is given specifics. But if you think the future is about change to something else, you're correct. We've gone down this alley like lightning, the speed of which we don't have time to reflect. And when our lady says, reflect on your future, 
It was because people weren't doing that. We are mindless, is what Joan just read. Traveling along this wave, being swept along, without really thinking about where is this going to end up at. If you got a fast car and you go fast, in fact, I just got through reading uh, somewhere, I saw an article on the, the new Mustang. It's 967 horsepower. They're going to put it on the street. You know, that's never done, been done before. But if you just step on that, you're going to keep going fast, even if you're on a straight road, and go as fast as you can. Sooner or later, you're going to go around a curve or something or a bump or a stop, a red light. You're going to crash. This culture, this world, this society is going faster and faster and faster without slowing down. And it's a guaranteed crash, a fatality, an unsurvivable wreck. And so if you're going to stay with that and not be thinking, I need to be off of this or I need to stop and get at this car before it starts going, or if there's some place you can get off of it, you better bail out. You might get hurt at the speed it's going right now. Things will change in your life. You'll lose some things. You might have to downsize some of the things you want. But it's not about what you want. It's about what's going to happen. Your wants, no matter what you desire, won't fit what's coming in the future. And really, actually, what's here now. So why would you not change? When I first went to Medjugorje, it was really very agrarian. In other words, agrarian means agricultural, based life, a subsistence living. They didn't farm to make money. And actually, they weren't farmers. They lived subsistently. People throw this all in the class of farming. We don't even farm here. This is where we live. We brought our culture there. We built three small cottages there for the community to stay there. We were very aggravated when we would call the electrician, hit you up two weeks later. It didn't matter if you even had power or something serious. And we were putting our culture, you know, you'd be there in an hour. When this guy had grapevines to deal with in that season that he was heavily working on. He was an electrician part-time. He was agrarian subsistence living full-time. We're full-time, and we were worried about living secondary. You know, even in the 50s, people still had a lot of gardens in the 60s. More people gardening now. But your primary thoughts are, will be intertwined with how you're going to eat. And that's what they did when we went to Michigan. It's beautiful. I'm convinced our lady... So that we could have this rooted from the beginning of Medjugorje, how crude it was. People were still pulling horse and wagons. I remember seeing them coming to Mass, working in the fields all day. When the apparitions were occurring, to go to the apparition time and do the rosary, dirty from the fields. Straight from the fields to Mass, home to eat. He said, well, I don't want to do that. It ain't what you want to do. It's going to matter. It's what's coming. Be thoughtful. Be thinking. That the time has changed day after day, year after year, century after century, how man lived, is we're coming back to because man was holy. The church grew through it. The church is fat and it's lazy now. Somebody told me yesterday from their church that every other car in the parking lot has an Obama sticker on it. How can that be? This is not about politics, this is about our belief. 
How can you be both a Catholic and for Obama? You can't be. Oh, a friend of Missouri, you're saying you can't be a Christian and be for Obama? Well, you explained to me, how can you be a Christian and be for abortion, abomination lifestyle, forcing other people to pay for somebody's abortion so they have the right to have it free because they deserve that? Or to change our military, to destroy it. Getting ready to don't ask, don't tell. You're not a Christian if you're so shallow in your beliefs that you can vote for somebody or be for somebody. I don't even talk about voting. Even if you didn't vote for me, you for them. You cannot be for somebody like that. It's totally in contradiction of who we are. You've got the right to. I'm not arguing about that point. I'm arguing if you are, take the name Christian off of your title when you say, oh yeah, I'm a churchgoer. No, you're not. You're going into a building. Not a sinner, but a hypocrite. Some people say, well, there's only sinners in church. That's good. But we don't need hypocrites there. Follow your belief. Drop out of the church. Let the church be smaller, leaner, just like the French, who eat in portions. They're measured. It's true, I've been to France many times and everything I just heard was, was exactly how it is there. But a smaller, leaner, holier church, that's what we need. And so the future will be about and maybe perhaps spending your whole day on your next meal. We've got to be a thinking people and see the signs of the times and know that Our Lady said that you will not be able to stop August 2nd, 2011. You will not be able to stop the evil that wants to begin to rule to destroy the world. Only with Jesus will you be able to heal the world. That little glimmer of hope after that the revelation of what's happening and what he wants to do, the devil, is serious words. Are you taking it seriously enough to think, I need to reorder my life yesterday? You don't have any more time. This is it. When you read the book, they fired the first shot. You will understand what I'm saying. It is serious. The moment is serious. The moment is at hand. We are face to face with evil. February 2nd. Pride has come to rue. I think that's the date. Who is pride to you? Pride, the devil, has his minions. Who is arrogant in this country? Who is pridefully forcing our beliefs against us to comply with their beliefs and their agenda? It's not about you better wake up. You gotta wake up. If you've been awake for three days, you're worn out, you're tired. 
and a plane crashes on one side of your house and your house catches on fire, you're going to just say, I'm too tired to get up? It's not just going to crash. It's crashing at this moment. You've got to wake up and make changes in your life now. Don't sit around while I'll deal. And I've heard people tell me this. It's amazing. Medjugorje people. Well, what happens, I'll deal with it. Oh, you will? That's what you're going to do? Or they say when the sign appears on the mountain, it will be too late for many people. Don't delay what you know you need to be doing. First, spiritually, getting sin out of your heart. Changing your life spiritually. Because it's fruitless to sit there and continue on the way and doing what's been done for the past decades. And then think you're going to save yourself and store food and do this kind of stuff. That's, that's fruitless. It's not about just storing stuff for three months. Or I got, I got a six-month supply of food in my basement. So what? The robbers and thieves can break in and get that. But robbers and thieves have more trouble going into the garden and picking everything you got out there because they will go on the easy things that the roving bands of people. You got to have a way of life of being able to transmit your mouth or what your food comes from your ground to your mouth. You think, oh, this is a romantic thing of life. No, it is life. And if you're marauded from that point, there's nothing you can do anyway. But the rosary is your armor, is your protection. And you still yet may be martyred. You still may be life taken or inducted for whatever reasons. We don't know. We don't know the details, specifics. But one thing we do know is we're in trouble. And we're in more trouble than you can imagine. And when you read, they fired the first shot, you're going to understand everything I'm telling you right now. I think that most people agree that um, that there is a shortage of time as far as uh, whatever that is the future holds or the present holds and and changing their life. I think most people who are praying understand and realize that there is a short period of time. And so... Or, or is there just going to be people who are just simply not going to be prepared? Or is Our Lady possibly going to advance them in something that would normally take them a year or two years to do, that through grace she would advance them to the point because they want to change their life, that they want to be uh, do live her messages and, and live a different kind of life? Is it possible that she would advance people beyond what was fi- it's physically capable of taking place? Well, there's going to be... An intervention by God it has to be. We know after 40 years in the desert, which we're going through our desert and breaking away from the culture and the society and get off of this tide for it that, that runs out onto the beach and you're a fish and you dry in the sun and die. That what's going to take place is, as with the Israelites, they receive the manna. The messages are a manna. But when they came to the promised land, they didn't just walk in there and well here we are here it is God made them get it with a struggle they had to fight they had to fight the Philistines the pagans the non-believers and so we can parallel a lot of things that's going to happen it's not going to be just given to us there were miracles along the way there are miracles in their battles and we're going to see a lot of miracles perhaps God will have to rain some manna down on because who knows or maybe there'll be a huge population decrease 
We don't know the specifics. You can speculate. You can think. You can reason. And we're probably hitting some of, some of the nails on the head, what I'm saying to you now. But how will it happen? Well, we know he says Jesus will heal the world. So we know it's coming. It's, and so we can say, okay, well, then I'll deal with it when it comes. No, you can't. Because look what it took to establish a church. What is it going to take to reestablish the church? Because the church is not established like it was in the early days. Our lady gave a message. I'm going to go back it was in the beginning. Now, in the context she said that was to go back after eight years back to her messages. But I clearly could see in this message also beginning with Christianity. Go back as it was in the beginning. What's going to happen? The church can't be renewed. The world can't be renewed without a lot, a lot of crosses, a lot, a lot of suffering, a lot, a lot of difficulties. Only then can there be rebirth. Do you really honestly think that a lady's going to come and she said, okay, she's going to heal the world. We just keep praying we, and we do this. And we do these little bit fasting things we do, which is really our duty. That, okay, the church is clean. Everything's going to be fine. The church is about to go into purification. It already is, actually. We're in the throes of it now. The birth pangs, are, the contractions are starting. There is going to be purification. You're not going to escape that. You might long to die. You know, it may be from the heavens. we got the seekers to go through. But one thing we do know is our lady says you have a century of peace. But as I've often quoted the monument in Washington, the object of every war is a more perfect peace. And through war, we know we've been in a spiritual battle. We know there's people out there that will do everything now to squash Christianity. They hate it. You got the standardization and acceptance of atheistic principles being put into national policy. You think they're just going to give up? No, the Catholic Church is the obstacle. The Christians out there of other denominations is the obstacle. That has to be removed for evil's rule to be consolidated and rule. And until that happens, no matter what the Supreme Court does and changes. They're not going to stop. They'll just come up with something else. So it's wake-up time. It's time for us to do what we need to do. Frank's not on the air with us. He's traveling back home to Ohio right now at this moment. But if you've got any of your situations financially, because Medianomics is about that, food, getting that, how you operate, what you do, one thing we started Medianomics for is to put you in a position to start thinking about the most paramount thing that revolves around everything with food is that food comes with the exchange of your labors held in some kind of certificate, which is a dollar. That certificate is going to redeem and take your, your labor, and they give it to you, and they say, well, what do you do for a living? Well, I, I sell cars, or I cut wood, or I'm a plumber. Oh, okay, so that person takes that dollar bill, and in that dollar bill is not money in and of itself, because it's worth is what you've done. you stored your labor in that bill be it a 10 a $20 bill, a $100 bill, or many $100 of bills. That's your stored labor or your expertise or something that you're, you're, uh, your skill or consultant. You store that in that. It's nothing. It's valueless. You make it valuable. And the fact that it's still valuable, unbased by back a precious metal, metal, 
is simply by faith. It's really worthless. You're putting your labor into something that has no worth. And so we struck the miraculous metal measure around, which is silver. Store your labor and your extra income you're not using into that. Because if things crash or things change or there's war or whatever catastrophes happen, people go back always to silver and gold. And silver is the thing to go back to. So you store your labor, your retirement, you store it in your silver. Don't worry about what the market's doing. They're playing with that. That's Satan playing with the markets to keep silver down. It's manipulated. But no matter what anybody does, no matter how they do it, if it's in a house and you've got $100,000 worth of miraculous metal measure rounds and they melt down in one big glob, it's still the same value. Silver is silver. It's intrinsically valuable. Dollar bills can burn. Dollar bills and economies can crash. This won't. And so that's one thing in the urgent emergency you take is to store what you have in the bank or your savings and retire into this. And it may drop because they are playing with it. But it won't crash like the money or your dollar bill or your retirement will. That's why we came up with this plan to have the miraculous metal on there for the purpose when you do exchange that, somebody is carrying the miraculous metal on their being, be a believer or non-believer. Our Lady told Maria, Maria, 1989, to pray for those who carry the miraculous metal. We look how to bring Our Lady into the back door, how to bring people without their knowledge even, or wanting to, to conversion. The miraculous metal has done that. Story and Ain't Gonna Happen is about a priest who was Jewish, who had no interest, but was convinced to carry the miraculous metal, who went through a tremendous conversion as a Jew. The Pope, I think it was even the Pope who inducted him and ordained him, and become well-known as a priest. The miraculous metal has power. Our Lady reinstituted that power. So how do you hijack the commerce or the exchange of uh, your labor instead of having it on the dollar, have it in something else? And you might have to transfer if you have $100,000 worth of these rounds. You might have to transfer that to go buy a car. You just go and sell it on the market and take your dollars and real quickly and go buy your car. People are worried about how they exchange it. But if something crashes, you won't, nobody's going to protect your dollars. If it's in the bank, you're not going to have it. So there's a lot behind medianomics. It's not about money. It's not about the love of money, which is a sin and all the root of all evil. It's about what is reality. The miraculous metal, the miraculous metal magical around is reality in that you're doing something of a righteous thing to have when you exchange that. Something that lady can bring those people who get that silver later and you get the goods and services from it, from your stored labor that they gave in exchange for their labor back to you, that they in turn will be carrying the miraculous metal. And so we're out of time. If you want to talk to Frank about these things, and he's the one that distributes that, we designed it, we put, it up, put together the project through prayer, then you can call Frank. You can reach Frank at 877-936-7686. Again, that's toll-free, 877-936-7686. Or globalsilverinvestors at yahoo.com. Again, that's all one word, globalsilverinvestors at yahoo.com. And their website is globalsilverinvestors.com. And remember, the French thing, refinement is not a French thing about the way they eat. It's not because of some kind of style. It's life. Change has affected the quality of life. You need to decide what you want to do with that. We wish you, Our Lady, 
We love you. Goodbye. The subject matter contained in this presentation is based on biblical principles and designed to give you accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that neither the presenter nor the broadcaster is engaged to render legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Since your situation is fact-dependent, you may wish to additionally seek the services of an appropriately licensed legal, accounting, real estate, or investment professional.